Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Righteousness Manifested by Pastor Sean Wood. And as I do, this is my prayer this morning because this week I began, uh, in, my, in my quiet time, I began working my way through the book of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel, he is one trippy dude. He, one minute he's in exile, the next minute he's in Jerusalem. And the next minute he's translated there, God... God speaks very powerfully through Ezekiel. But in chapter 2, I love these words, and this is my prayer for everybody in this room this morning. Chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And he said to me, God said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. I love this next part, verse 2. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered entered into me. I could almost go home right now because the Lord has spoken through Simon this morning and he's spoken a message to us and I can almost go home right now because he's just preached my sermon. Pretty much. I believe God has a message this morning that he wants to speak to all of us and I kind of put a lot of effort into slides and everything like that. We'll see how we go. I don't know how we'll track with these this morning. So I'm going to pray. And Lord, I just pray this morning that you would open our eyes and open our hearts because here you are in our midst this morning. And I pray that as your word goes forth, because it's got nothing to do with me, it's got nothing to do with any person and everything to do with you. But as your word goes forth, may your Holy Spirit enter into every person in this place. Your word's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and we open ourselves up for you, Lord, to cut away the excess in your wonderful name. Amen. If you'd like to meet me in Romans chapter 3, we're going to work our way through what, what most scholars have said is the greatest paragraph in the New Testament. The three words that start off what I want to talk about today, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, they are the most fantastic three words to date in the book of Romans. We've been working through Romans for about, about three months now. We're going to close off chapter three. Now, I fully understand if, if, if sermon time in church is a time for you to catch up, on some, catch up on some Z's and have a snooze, I fully understand. But today, stay awake because if you miss this morning, you'll miss what Romans is all about. We're going to talk about some words today that are enormous Not always in how big they are. Some of them are big words. We're going to talk today about words like redemption. That's a huge word. We're going to talk about words today like propitiation. That's a word that's used only a handful of times and it embarrasses translators so that they translate it differently in other places. Because the fullness of what that word propitiation means is enormous. I want to tell you the story, and I've told this story before, but I want to tell you the story of a guy by the name of Father Damien Joseph. Father Damien Joseph was one of the first five missionaries to the island of Hawaii. And just off the mainland of Hawaii, to the north of the island, is a little island called Molokai. And Molokai, in those days, when Father Damien arrived there, was nothing more than a leper colony. If you had leprosy, you were put on the island of Malachi. All the lepers were kept on Malachi. And Father Damien feels the call of God to go to Malachi. Are you insane? 
Wrong herbal tea this morning. What's going on? Why are you going over there? So he takes the gospel to the island of Molokai and he goes over, he builds himself a little house. He builds a church and every Sunday morning he rings the bell and he begins by telling them that the gospel is even for lepers and they're a polite people. So they turn up every Sunday and they don't want to offend. So they keep coming and they're listening to the words of the preacher, but no inward transaction happens. Nobody is converted. After a little while, uh, Father Damien, Damien Joseph decides, I'll change my tact and says, you know, the gospel is the message and the truth of Jesus that can help you in your illness. And still, because they are a polite people, they come to church every Sunday. They listen to the message, but... Nobody is converted. But one Sunday morning, some two years later, two years on the island with the lepers, this Sunday morning would be unlike any other Sunday morning for Father Damien Joseph. He gets up in the morning like he does every Sunday morning. He boils the jug like he did every Sunday morning. He, he goes about making himself a cup of tea like he did every Sunday morning, but he spills the water all over his foot. This is no ordinary Sunday morning, friends. For the first time in his life, he didn't feel any pain. Oh, for sure, he burnt his foot. And that was the first Sunday morning he stood behind the pulpit and he said these words, my fellow lepers. Revival broke out on the island of Molokai. Everybody was converted to the gospel and the truth of Jesus. Why? Because something happened in the message. Something very important that needs to happen for each and every one of us. You know, for two years they heard about a saviour. For two years they heard about a Jesus. For two years they'd heard a wonderful message about a God. But for the first time in two years, it was the gospel for them. Why? Because somebody come down and said, I'm a leopard just like you. And revival breaks out. 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, God became a leper just like us. He became a man just like us. You see, leprosy in the physical speaks very deeply of sin in the spiritual. It has exactly the same effects on your heart as what it does in the physical. Leprosy left unattended in the physical, it will kill nerves. It deadens tissue. You can't feel. You're unresponsive. Exactly what sin does to the human heart. And that word propitiation is exactly what that means. It is God standing amongst mankind saying, my fellow lepers. Because that word means that upon the cross, he took the fullness of our sin. And as we will expose today, he took the fullness of our wrath and our punishment. The first three words that I want to talk about today are chapter 21. And it says, but now the. And we all know now that if you've been here for any length of time, you know that if there is one word, if there is one thing I like in the Bible, it is but. I love buts. And I particularly love this one. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one, one of the greatest expositors of scripture I've ever listened to, says this is the most, these are the most profound three words we've yet encountered in Romans. Because up until now, we've been talking about the human condition, the human condition of spiritual leprosy. You see, 
spiritual leprosy, leprosy in the Old Testament. If you were a leper in the Old Testament, you were kept outside the camp. You weren't allowed to come anywhere near the temple. You couldn't worship God. You weren't allowed near the priests unless you were cleansed. Ever noticed in the Gospels how not one single leper ever gets healed? Not one of them. They all get cleansed. They all get cleansed. My personal testimony is I was a leper. I had a spiritual condition that kept me at distance from God. I had a spiritual condition that thought all of this life was all about me until somebody took my leprosy away and there's only one person in the universe that can remove your leprosy. And you will remain outside the camp and you will remain at distance with God until you deal with leprosy. And now Paul says, I've exposed the human condition. We're all under sin. And we looked at sin is only three letters, but it's one of the biggest words in the book of Romans. We expose what sin is and how it came into the world. But now we're going to look at words like grace. Oh, there's a big one. Today we're going to look at the word faith briefly. And then we're going to keep unpacking what the word faith means. Faith is paramount. And the transition that happens now is we're going to move from the human condition to what the hope we have in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what I love about Jesus. Jesus comes down. He exposes our human condition. He exposes that we're all under sin, but he does not leave us there. Today, I want to help you answer three questions concerning the righteousness of God. Thank you, Lord, for bringing a preemptive. It's like, it's like John the Baptist came before me this morning and just unveiled everything I wanted to speak about. But uh, I want to answer righteousness. We need three questions when it comes to righteousness. What is it? Why do we need it? And how do we get it? Because it's huge. Let's start with the first one. As we're reading on, it says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. And Okay, we're singing again, are we? Uh, I can sing, just not very well. Now a righteousness has been manifested, and this righteousness, we can't leave this off. We have to keep covering exactly what this word means, because for Martin Luther, the reformist, Martin Luther, this was a light switch moment for him when he got this, because righteousness for Martin Luther looked like, um, God saves me, now I have to maintain righteousness by what I do. Drove him mad to the point that he was in confessional for six hours. So it didn't drive him mad, drove everybody mad. Who wants to sit there and listen to some guy for six hours? You, you kind of set up a dummy and walk out. But he realised, Martin Luther realised something very important. He stood on the rim of the black hole of the human heart and realised, you know what? Sin just keeps going on forever. I could sit in confessional all my life and I still wouldn't appease this God. But the light switch moment for Martin Luther was when he realised that this righteousness is a gift from God. And righteousness is the position that we hold before God. Let me give you a few examples. First one, let's say we're really good friends 
I can't believe that money does this to people, by the way. But let's say that we're really good friends and, you know, you have a habit. We, we all, not a day goes by. We always talk, touch base, whatever happens. And, and then maybe I lend you some money. And we come to an agreement that here's some money. I'm going to lend you some money. And uh, we agree that in a few weeks you'll pay it back and, and no big problems. Well, here's what unrighteousness looks like. It gets to three months and there's a debt between us. And you don't call anymore. You don't pop in anymore. Why? Because the the position is apparently affected now. There's something between us. There's a debt between us. Righteousness is where there's no debt. Another way, uh, Tim Keller says beautifully that righteousness is a resume that opens doors. I have had the privilege of applying for many jobs in my life and I have pretty much got nearly every single one I've applied for, I think. But I've applied for a lot of jobs in my life and I've handed a resume to a lot of people and I've realised one thing about resumes. Let's say the local university wanted to hire a lecturer for the astrophysics department and I sent in my resume. Very, 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 very quickly, they're going to reply to me and say, thank you very much, if they're polite, they're going to say, thank you very much for your application, but nothing on your resume qualifies you to hold this position. Here's what righteousness is. Righteousness is nobody in this room has a resume that allows you to stand before God at all. (laughs) The beauty of it is Jesus comes to us and says, here's my resume. Now you can hold this position before God. John Calvin put it beautifully when he said, God, Jesus did not come to make men righteous. He came to be our righteousness. He didn't come to clean up your resume, friends. He came to give you a whole new resume. That's what righteousness is. And Paul says it's now been manifested. It's now been revealed. It's now been unveiled apart from the law. Martin Luther, light goes on. It's not about what I do. It's not about how moralistic I am. So now we understand what righteousness is is. But you might be sitting here saying, well, how do I get it? How do I move from where I am to where I need to be? The answer Paul gives us as we move on. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the Old Testament, everything in the Old Testament, every jot, every dot, every letter, every part of it, every ceremony, every sacrifice, everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus, every part of it, testifies to the wonderment that was coming. We'll have a bit of a look at that as we move on today. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith. In a moment, I'm gonna, we're going to look briefly at another word called grace. But this righteousness or justification, by the way, whenever you read justification and righteousness in Romans, exactly the same word in Greek, just interchangeably used according to context. And this righteousness or this justification from God on God's part is according to grace. And when it comes to men, it is a matter of faith. You can't earn righteousness. You can't be born. If your parents were Christians all their lives and you grew up into church, you still need your own faith. Billy Graham once said, did he not, Lynn? That God, that God does not have any grandchildren. He does not have any grandchildren. 
Everybody needs faith. So what is faith? We're going to uh, mark corners here next weekend, but after that, we're going to explore more faith. It's that important that, that Paul doesn't leave it alone. But let's touch on it briefly, what faith is. I think the best way to sum faith up, J.R. Packer was asked, can you please explain what faith is to the gospel? And he said, faith is an embrace. The Greek word is pistis. It means a firm persuasion or a conviction based upon hearing. And we're going to look at another word in a moment that's enormously important that ties in to faith. But faith is a firm conviction or persuasion. It's not just agreeing in your mind. It's something that has moved inside of you. If you went outside now, went went for a walk down the street, asked 50 people if they believed in God, I bet you 40 of them at least would say, yeah, I believe in God. They mentally agreeing with God. Nothing is transacted on the inside. But J.I. Packer says the best way to understand faith is it is an embrace. And whenever we embrace somebody or something, we have to let go of whatever it is we've got hold of. You have to stop embracing the things of this world. You have to stop embracing religion and rules and regulations. And you have to, with both hands, grab hold of Christ. That is faith. Belief, which is the next word, to all who believe, says Paul, as we go on through this verse, the word believe is a life lived embracing Christ. It's a verb. It's about what we do. Embracing entails letting go of what it is that we hold so dear and grabbing hold of Jesus. A.W. Tozer said that the hands of the soul is faith, reaching into heaven. Faith is an embrace. Let's have a look at, let's answer the last question that we have. Verse 23, everybody should know this verse. Let's, Let's lead up to it. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Why do I need this righteousness? Why do I need this new resume from Jesus? Why? Because you have all got leprosy until Jesus cleanses you. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of... In the Salvation Army, we used to sing a hymn, and that's all the line was. Oh, the blood of Jesus. And the last one was, that washes away my sin. We sang it every Sunday. The Salvation Army motto is blood and fire. That's why they sing those songs. But uh, some of the old hymns are fantastic and what the the meaning they have. We all fall short of the glory of God. For those who weren't here last week, the best way to understand falling short of God's glorious standard is imagining those three swimmers that want to swim from the east coast of Australia to New Zealand. And we've got three swimmers. One can't swim, one can almost swim, and the other one's a marathon Olympic swimmer. And what happens is they all try to reach New Zealand. First one gets 50 metres, he drowns. Next one gets a couple of kilometres, he drowns. The next one gets 15 kilometres, but he drowns. What's the difference? Nothing. It doesn't matter how far or how good they are, they are not going to reach New Zealand. Paul's message is, it doesn't matter how good you are, it doesn't matter who your parents are, it doesn't matter how often you go to church, it doesn't matter how much money you put into the offering, that, none of that matters. You do that because you're in a relationship with God. Those things won't get you into a relationship with God. You all fall short of New Zealand. I know what everybody's thinking. Who on earth would want to swim to New Zealand? 
If you're going to swim, swim to Tassie. Absolutely right. Praise God. C.S. Lewis was asked a question. Those that were there said it took him about 3.2 nanoseconds to answer it. He had the answer already lined up. But he was asked this question. Somebody came to C.S. Lewis and said, you know, I've read your writings and all that, but of all the religions in the world, we've got Jehovah's Witness, we've got Mormons, we've got Hinduism, pantheism, all forms of pantheism. Do you know there's something like 300 million gods in India right now? Try keeping track of that. 300 million. Pantheism, Hinduism, Islam, but they come up to C.S. Lewis and says, you know what, how do we know that we should trust in Christianity and what is it that makes Christianity so different? (laughs) C.S. Lewis said that's easy. He says it's grace. What separates Christianity from everything else is grace. You see, the message is different. Now we don't appease. Please hang on to that word appease for a moment while we work our way to the word propitiation. We are justified or made righteous. It's the act of justification. We are justified by grace. And grace is a free gift. It is the unmerited and unsolicited gift from somebody else. But the, but the, the motive behind it is for the fullness of joy for somebody else. Let me explain. Although it's become reasonably commercial, most of us will understand that at Christmas time, we go about giving gifts. And in the lead up to Christmas, for all of our loved ones, we we put a lot of thought, we put a lot of effort, we put a lot of shopping, and and we want to give them a gift. It's an unsolicited gift. They haven't done anything to deserve it. That's the idea behind Christmas, by the way, not so that we can bump up the retail sector. But the idea is that we would give something to somebody else that's unsolicited. You've done nothing to deserve this in the first place. That's the gift. That's grace. But what we are, the whole motivation behind that is that we would like to give you a gift that increases the fullness of your joy. That's grace. That's God's grace. God, imagine God sitting in the throne room of heaven. What can I possibly give to mankind? What gift could I possibly give him that is the greatest gift that would give him the greatest joy? I'll give him a standing before me that my son has. What? I will give him the gift of no more sin and no more leprosy. It's interesting if you... It's interesting how when you talk to people in different demographics of life, what matters to them? I was going to share this tonight, Pastor Liz, but I'm going to share it now. There's a guy that came to... Margaret, are you here? Margaret Parks, are you here? Margaret was involved in this too. There's a gentleman that came in on Friday, Colin. And um, this happens regularly, but I'm using this as an example. This happens reasonably regularly. But he comes into to fooling. It's interesting that, that Colin wanted prayer. And it's interesting how when we boil things down to tin tacks, what's actually important to people? What, what can I do for you today that's the most important? He says, you know what? He says, uh, my daughter was diagnosed with aggressive cancer. Thing, things did not look good. And he said, this has hit us like a freight train. We don't know what's going on. We don't know. We, did, he sounded like he didn't know which way it was up, didn't he, Liz? And I just bumped him on Friday briefly, but he'd been in to see the lovely ladies that work in Foodlink and had contact with him. And he, he shared how it still sounds like they've got a journey ahead of them. But now the oncologist is saying, 
I can't feel any lump there. At one point in time, they were talking time frames. Now they can't find any lumps. And of course, we spend time praying with Colin, and he's very excited. But it's interesting, isn't it, that depending on what demographic it is, what's the greatest thing that I could do for you right now? For Colin, it was that my daughter would be healed. And the story of the tabernacle, I shared this with Steve this morning because we're going to come into some imagery of the tabernacle. And uh, we were Romans, uh, sorry, Hebrews chapter 10, which uh, Simon, through the Lord, recited much of this morning. See, Hebrews, first nine, first nine chapters of Hebrews is, is exposing everything that's happened under Christ. New high priest, Jesus is better than Moses, all those sorts of things, new covenant. Then we get to chapter 10, and chapter 10 is kind of like the so what? Okay, that's all, that's all fantastic. We get to chapter 10. Chapter 10 is so what? And the so what is, let us draw near. That's what the so what is. And the picture of the tabernacle, I shared this on the first, very first sermon that I preached on Romans. I shared this. But the tabernacle basically was a rectangle, kind of like that. We could go into more detail, but I won't. But out here was what they called the outer court. And then from the outer court through a certain amount of ceremonies, you would, you would work into a place through a veil called the holy place. And then from the holy place, once a year, we're going to touch on that in a moment, once a year, the priest on the day of atonement, he would, he would go into the most holy place. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where the, the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament is the presence of God. And the message of the gospel is this. Do not be content to exist in the outer court. Why? Because Jesus has tore the veils down. It's, it's not just priests now. It's not just some guy in fancy dress that was born into a lineage of some weird dude from years ago. No, Peter makes it clear in his epistle that we are a royal priesthood. Every single one of us has got access to God. And I want to make a statement and ask everybody in this room a question as we press forward. The statement is that every person in this room is as close to God as you want to be. And my question is, what's stopping you? What's keeping you in the outer court? Because nothing in the spiritual can actually... I was enormously challenged when I read this. Let's, let's read on as we unpack another big word this morning. Verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace. Justified by his grace as a gift freely given. God gives gifts without any strings through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption is an enormously huge word. Paul is borrowing terminology from the marketplace here. The word redeem is to buy. It means that there's a price attached. And I want you to hang on to that as we work our way through this word. Redemption is the completed transaction. If, I, if I'm thinking that I want to redeem something, I grab the price that it's going to cost me. I go to the marketplace and I buy it. If I have completed redemption, I have already been to the marketplace. I've already paid it. It's already completed. The transaction's done. That word there to every single person in this room means Jesus has already done it. 
Religion is spelt D-O. It wasn't very good at English either or spelling in school. Religion is spelt D-O. Christianity in the gospel is spelt D-O-N-E. Jesus has done it all. The word redemption is to lib- is, means liberation through the payment of a price. It's, it's to pay a ransom. Anybody here ever watched the Mel Gibson movie Ransom many years ago? In that movie, uh, for those that uh, can remember, uh, Mel Gibson plays the part of a guy that owns an airline and his son is targeted and he is kidnapped and then a ransom is demanded. Isn't it interesting, uh, when we look at ransoms, uh, John Paul Getty, when he was uh, taken hostage and kidnapped, they asked for a phenomenal amount of money. Why? Because they knew the old fella had it. (laughs) Interesting enough. When these pirates, these Somalian pirates, when they board ships and they take the boat, the cargo and the crew, they set an enormous amount of price on on the ransom. Why? Because they know there's an enormous amount of value tied up. Value determines price. Hang on to that for a moment. As we work our way through the movie, what happens is uh, Mel Gibson, in in his part, flips the coin and puts a ransom out for the the kidnapper. But right at the end, he is going to pay the money and he's working his way, but he's on the phone to the guy that's taking his son. I thought this was profound. And he says to the guy, he says, of all the people you could have picked, he says, there's people in America, he says, that have got more money than me. He says, there's people that are more wealthier than me that would have probably been easier to target than me. But out of everybody, he says, why did you pick me? The guy on the other end said, he said, I knew you'd pay. (laughs) He said, I can remember back, he said, when you had a staff dispute that, that threatened to ruin your airline, he said, and you quickly paid to make it go away. He said, we knew you would pay. Meditate on these words. Before the foundation of the world, the blood of Jesus Christ was slain. Redemption means, and I've been not incarcerated, but to visit people. I've been inside prisons. Redemption means that 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked through the jail cells and he flicked the lock on every, on every door. Here's the sad truth. Many people, one, they don't know that the lock's been flicked. And two, even though they do know, they choose to stay inside. And the message, why do we share the gospel? Because when another prisoner walks out and says, hey, dude, you can be free because somebody paid the price. Your penalty was paid. This isn't God sweeping sin under the carpet. We'll deal with that in a moment. None of that's what's happened here. The penalty's been paid and you can walk free from jail today. There is nothing holding you back. There is no more restrictions. The price has been paid. Now meditate on this for a moment. God, the only thing that God had, the most valuable thing that God had was his son. And before he even breathed, breathed life into our nostrils, Jesus had determined, I'll walk up that hill. I'll pay the price. They can flog me to the point where I'm nearly dead anyway. They'll have to get another guy to help me carry the cross. Why? Because I'm that weak. I can't carry it on my own. And if that doesn't tell everybody in this room just how much God values you, we're missing it. But the challenge of this redemption is... I love the next words because through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward, 
God's the one that took the initiative here. God's the one that, he was the first one to raise the flag. God put Jesus forward and when I was thinking about this this week, I was enormously challenged because I'm thinking, hang on a second, God, if you paid an enormous price to secure my redemption, if, if you paid everything you had, if you, if you watched your son march up that hill, if you were there, God, when they mocked your son and when they spat on him, when the religious folk were at the foot of the cross slandering your son, if you paid that price to get me back, who do I think I am to think that I can live my own life now? Well, to put it in the way that the Apostle Paul put it, you were bought with a price. And I think we've lost the value of the price. I think we've lost the fullness of what happened at the cross. I think the gospel has been watered down. I think we're in danger of settling for the outer court. We're not challenged. We can wash when we want to. We can come in and out of the outer court whenever we want to. This morning I wrote about stepping up to the crease for those that read the pastor's comments. And I think the time for every person, just like batsmen, I think the time for every person to take, stand up to the crease is, is right now. Take the crease, stand guard. Just, just this week we, we, we boosted a Facebook post just saying that Mark Connor was coming. Do you, do you know how many adverts come through a Facebook feed on a person's Facebook feed on any given day? And all there was was a, was a little feed there about Mark Connor coming to share at the Ross Christian Church. And I really hope these people don't kiss their mother with that mouth for what they wrote on the Facebook page. One guy wrote a 10-page dossier <laughs> on Facebook. And I replied to his comment and said, thank you for all the effort that you've put into but... Here's what the problem is. It appears that you are afraid of something. For you to go to great lengths to attack one very simple post on your Facebook feed, something scares you. Kmart can put all the posts on there they like. Walt Disney can advertise the next movie if they like. The Redland City Council can tell you about the next event at Cirame. That's fine. We'll just keep scrolling. But a church puts something on there, game on. Why? Because something scares me. We found out last week there's people hiding in the bushes. Let's move on. Verse 25, whom God put forward, God was the one that put him forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This word propitiation embarrasses scholars and it causes translators often to translate this word expiation. Now, expiation means to wipe away. They're big words, but bear with me, we're going we're gonna to unpack what they mean. Uh, expiation means to, to wipe away, yes. And propitiation includes that, but it's far more than that. The word in the Greek actually means mercy seat. It's translated mercy seat. It's used only a handful of times in the New Testament, uh, both in Romans and in the first epistle of John and also in Hebrews. 
9, uh, fantastic epistle. But in the Old Testament, it is used something like 25 times. And every time the Hebrews are using the word propitiation, they're speaking about the mercy seat. Now, the mercy seat is exactly what we see here. Uh, the imagery is the, the cherubim, the mercy seat on top of the Ark. Of, you ever read that scripture where uh, the Ark of the Covenant's coming back into Jerusalem and David danced? Remember that song, um, when the Spirit of the Lord's in my heart, I'll we don't sing that anymore for good reason, but uh, when the Spirit of the Lord is in my heart, I'll dance like David danced. We used to, that used to be really popular, that song, and people used to dance around and all that sort of stuff. But uh, the reason he danced was the Ark of the Covenant was the presence of God. Let me tell you something, friends. I've had tastes of what lies in that box. Kind of like the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. I reckon there's a lot of people in here that would testify the same. We've had, we've had moments at the top of the mountain where we wanted to build tents, but we couldn't stay there. I've, ex I've experienced tastes of what's in that box. Friends, if it hits any church, you will dance like David danced. The mercy seat was the place that God manifested his presence in Israel. It was the place where amongst a cloud of incense... God's glory was to be found. The mercy seat was the place that the blood of a bull was sprinkled seven times to make atonement for God's people. Let me unpack for a moment. Let me unpack the ceremony. Day of atonement, one day every year through an enormous amount of sacrifices, the high priest alone is making his way towards here. He's not going to even see that box. There's going to be a cloud of... If he sees God's glory, dead. Okay, so at the moment, he's not going to, but blood has to be applied to the mercy seat. And what happens then is God's wrath on sin is appeased. All of the sins of Israel are put onto a bull. The bull is slain. The blood of that bull is taken and is spread on the mercy seat. And God's wrath is turned away and mercy is dispensed. That's basically overarchingly. When we get to Hebrews, we'll unpack these things a little bit more because there's a lot of imagery there that we've breezed past. But why it's embarrassing is if Jesus is the mercy seat, if Jesus is the mercy seat, God didn't turn a blind eye to sin. He still poured out all of his wrath. But it was poured out on Jesus. It's kind of like God taking all of the penalty to appease his wrath. I thank God for Mel Gibson and the Passion of the Christ because for a moment we get a glimpse of what that wrath looked like. And because sin has been fully appeased, that's what propitiation means. Because sin has been fully appeased, God is free to dispense mercy. If you keep reading these verses, Paul goes on to say God's righteousness has not been tainted. Why? Because he's not sweeping sin under the carpet. But the embarrassing thing is that all that was supposed to be ours was put onto Jesus. C.S. Lewis says, because it has been heralded that God and man could never be friends, but C.S. Lewis says that friendship can be defined as when two people standing next to each other say, you too. 
there's an identification. And Timothy Keller picks up that theme and says, if we can't be friends with God, it is only at the point of the cross when standing at the foot of the cross and seeing Jesus in all of our vulnerability, wearing all of our shame, wearing all of our nakedness. Yeah, the, the, the passion of the Christ was gentle. They had a, they had a, he was marched up that hill naked, friends. And what was sitting on his shoulders, don't ever forget that what was on the shoulders of Christ was yours. And it was mine. And looking upon the cross is when we can stand here, just like those lepers. And we can look at Jesus and say, you too. Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. He suffered. He was obedient in suffering. Atonement means that sin has not been covered over. Atonement doesn't mean now that it's washed away or or, or just simply put under the carpet. It means it has been completely dealt with. To be received by faith. In these 10 verses from 21 to 31... The word faith is used eight times in ten verses. That's why when we get to Romans chapter 4 next time, we need to unpack more about what faith is. But to receive something is to experience or be subject to. Other translations would render that, that that this propitiation is applied to us through faith. There is one way that we move from the outer court into the presence of God. There is one way that every person in this room is able to draw near to God and it's because of the propitiation of Jesus. It's because it's his blood on the mercy seat. And the call of God to every person here is that we stop settling for the outer court. I'll finish off this paragraph and then I'll pray. This was to show God's righteousness It shows God's righteousness, how? Because he has fully dealt with sin, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. And it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Every single person must have faith and faith must have an object. A.W. Tozer talks about the gaze of the soul. And in the, word, in the chapter 3 of John, Tozer says the word believe and look are used interchangeably to mean the same thing. Because if we go back to Numbers chapter 17, where the serpents had come amongst God's people, <clears throat> they cried out to God for rescue. And God says to Moses, put up a pole, put a serpent on a pole, and everybody who looks at the serpent on the pole, it will have no effect. But if you keep looking at the ground, if you keep looking at the serpents and looking at everything around you, the life of faith is a life lived looking at the one that was lifted up. John chapter 3 says in the same way, Jesus was lifted up so that all who will look to him 
The poison of sin has no effect. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now in this place. Open our eyes, I pray, to the fullness of the price that you paid. I pray that every one of us would continue to hear that still, small voice beckoning us into the presence of God. Beckoning us closer and closer to you. As Hebrews exhorts us, Lord God, I pray that every one of us would throw off every weight that hinders us and remove the sin that entangles every one of us and press on forward closer and closer to the presence of God. Father, right now, every one of us, as our heads are bowed, forgive every one of us. Forgive us, Lord, that we cheapen that sacrifice and that price. Forgive us, Lord, that you brought us with such a price that we determined to live our lives otherwise. We are all guilty of this at times, Lord. Jesus, I pray that your blood would wash over every single one of us. That every one of us would step into the fullness of the righteousness that you have provided. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.